walked out of that room and I walked out of my career, my international career. It's widely believed that this is the phone that has changed phones forever. Turning to our top story this morning, and that is confirmation of the first case of COVID-19 in the Republic. Now, returning to our special series, which is exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at an influential moment chosen by our listeners. Today, we're going back to May 2015, when Ireland voted yes in the marriage equality referendum. Uh, to talk more about that momentous day, we're joined by Dr. Gronje Healy, former chairwoman of the Marriage Equality and co-director of Yes Equality. It was uh, an extraordinary day, Gronje. It was, Shane, uh, an amazing day. Um, hard to believe it's it's over five years yeah. ago now. Um, but, you know, the day when 62.3% of Irish people uh, really voted for equality and I think also in many ways changed the face of campaigning. Any campaign since has used the Yes Equality playbook. You know, we're, we started having conversations rather than shouting at each other, which I think is how we had run many of the more divisive uh, referenda in the uh, years before yeah. that. But that was a national conversation. Tell us more about that. Like you, was it a deliberate attempt to kind of appeal to the to the middle ground voters was that the strategy absolutely i mean the strategy in the campaign that we agreed was that we were going to focus on what we called the million in the middle those voters who maybe didn't have particularly strong views one way or the other but they could go either way. So all of our efforts were focused on those voters. So that's why we started that idea of the conversations, whether it was somebody ringing up their granny to ask them, would they vote yes? Or uh, getting grandparents, mothers, fathers out on the media, talking about why it was such an important issue that their children would be able to get married like their other brothers and sisters. Mm-hmm. So that that conversation was hugely important and it was new. It was different. Did that mean, did you did you kind of isolate maybe more hardline voices on the campaign or did you kind of, um, it, it, did that have to happen? Um, it, it, there was some element of, of what we'd call turning up the dial on some voices and turning down the dial on others. So one of the one of the phrases we used was, do you want to win a referendum or do you want to win an argument? And we had many people in the campaign who had a history of being really good uh, rhetoricians and arguers. But, you know, we had to say to some of those people, you know, our research is showing us that we need to have people who are talking into certain audiences. So, for example, we need to talk to mothers. We need to talk to people in rural areas. And the best people to talk to those were people that they knew, their sons, their daughters, their their neighbours. So the yeah. campaign we ran had, you know, 70 local groups around the country. And that was all about people talking about this issue to other people who knew them. And that was important. This wasn't just some big Dublin campaign. This was a national campaign. And I think the vote on the day, you know, Ireland, the first country in the world to bring in marriage equality by popular vote was a tremendous success. It was, and it was an extraordinary day. I remember cycling home from work uh, that day through the crowds and thinking like it was such a special uh, day for people from uh, the GLBT um, yeah. uh, community because they had been through so much and it was just a kind of a, well, it was a feeling of elation, but I'm sure kind of relief as well. 
oh gosh, yeah, <laughs> the relief was enormous. And even though, you know, as we were moving through the weeks, it looked like we were gaining ground, you know, until the ballot boxes are open. You're never really sure. God knows, you know, we learned that in the American elections. So yeah. you're never really sure how it's going to go. But th- but that day, I mean, I was in Dublin Castle with the thousands of others. It poured out onto the street. And in fact, it poured out all over the country. I mean, there were there were such an outpouring of joy amongst, yes, those of us from uh, the LGBT community. But, you know, in some ways, it was a relief to the whole country. The whole country was asked, do you believe in equality? And they voted yes in huge numbers. I think there was a relief from everyone that we had voted in the way we had. And I think in particular, of the home to, to to vote people, those, you know, people who were living all over the world who came back to cast their vote because for them, this was about saying, you know, Ireland is different. Mm-hmm. We are more mature. We are more progressive. And, you know, following those videos on uh, Facebook and Twitter, people coming from Shanghai and Singapore. Yeah. And it was it, that for me was a really moving element of the campaign. Okay. And I, I, it, it was not organised by us. It was organic. And again, it just showed how important it was to so many Irish people. Okay, All right. Uh, Good to talk to you, Dr. Gráinne Healy, a former chairwoman of the Marriage Equality and co-director of Yes Equality. Thanks indeed for talking to News Talk Breakfast. Jonathan Healy in for Pat Kenny this morning. I want to return to Newstalk's special series on the 20 most influential moments in the last two decades. Now, every day across the station, we're looking back at an influential moment chosen by you, the good listeners to the radio station. And today we're going back to May 2015, when Ireland voted yes in the marriage equality referendum. But when you look beyond Ireland, the picture's not the same. There are countries still where being gay is illegal um, and marriage isn't allowed. There are those striving to make changes like were made here. So to hear more about what's happening around the globe, I'm joined on the line by Colm O'Gorman, Executive Director of Amnesty International, and Tiernan Brady, Global Director of Inclusion and part of the marriage equality campaigns both here in Ireland and in Australia. Tiernan and Colm, good morning to you both. Morning, Colm. Good morning. I, I suppose to give a bit of context, Colm, um, mm-hmm. you and I would have spoken a lot at the time and you were involved in various different debates that would have been gone on. What is your recollection of the tone in the run-up to that uh, referendum and, and the impact that it had on you as a gay man? Well, I suppose it depends on, 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 on where you look to for the tone. I mean, the reality is that it was fairly mixed. Um, predominantly, the tone was extraordinarily positive when you were out talking to people going around the country. I mean, the level of, of, of love and and determination and commitment and decency and generosity that we would have experienced and Tiernan would have had exactly the same experience I'm sure as we as we traveled around the country and spoke to people was extraordinary yes there was negativity um, but most of that frankly manifested on 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 uh, uh, on telephone poles in posters and in 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 the kind of at times um, thinly veiled bigotry that came across uh, um, from those who who were leading the opposition to, to equality for same-sex people here in Ireland. Um, but in in the main, it was phenomenally uh, positive from people. Now, the campaign had a negative impact because the simple fact is, whenever you put people's rights and people's integrity 
uh, and people's lives up for public debate and you suggest that it's completely valid to oppose and denigrate people's rights and denigrate people's lives and dignity, that has a negative impact. And it's certainly had a, a negative impact on, on many people um, during the campaign. And it took a bit of time for people to recover from that. Now, Tina, did you always have confidence that th- there was going to be a positive outcome, um, that Ireland had moved on? Uh, look, I mean, I think if you go into a campaign thinking you're definitely going to win no matter what, you're probably going to lose that campaign. So I, I think, no, I mean, I think we were confident, you know, that, that people were in the right space in this and, and people did understand this was about their brothers and sisters and neighbours and the kind of place we wanted to be and, and should people have the same aspirations and dignity as everybody else. But campaigns are tricky things. I mean, you can lose control of a campaign. It can go off the rails very quickly. So you know, it was a, you know, always something we knew we could win because we thought the people were with us, but that we had to have huge discipline the whole way through that campaign to make sure you know, we got it over the line. And at the same time, understand that it's, you know, as, as Colm says, I mean, a bare-knuckle roller coaster for actual LGBT people who have to wake up every morning and go... You know, are we going to win? People are talking about my life and my dignity every day on the radio or worse, if we're honest, on social media. So, you know, I I think we had towards the last seven days, eight days, we had a confidence that the campaign had managed to successfully reflect what the people felt. And yeah, that what we had to do then was get people to the box. <laughs> we we always look back on, on our own little island as being far more influential in global terms than, than it actually is. But is, is this one of those situations where we actually did make an impact globally? Because you, you've gone on to work in Australia. They, they had a referendum that was passed as well. I mean, was Ireland that watershed moment um, globally uh, for, for some countries, not all, as they deal with this issue? Yeah, I think you're totally right. I think we normally overestimate, all of us do, you know, our impact, you know, everybody's noticed what happened to me or whatever. Um, but this is one where we can't. I mean, when I went over to become director of the campaign in Australia, you know, we traveled around all these, you know, incredible Australian towns, like, you know, with, with brilliant names like Wagga Wagga, Wodonga, Toowoomba. And these places talked about the day that Ireland voted yes. You know, everywhere you went, there were people who were telling you they remember where they were when that happened. And, you know, that, that's the scale of impact, you know, on literally the opposite side of the globe. And, you know, we've been doing some work, you know, with the Taiwan campaign and they have passed marriage successfully now by legislation. But again, in Taiwan, when we worked with the campaign in Japan, you know, they do talk about Ireland a lot because we on, you know, being the first country in the world to pass this by a public vote, you know, sent an incredible message that you could get the people on your side and that you could want to, you know, design and run a campaign that would win. And, you know, I think LGBT people, you know, across the world and their parents and brothers and sisters and friends, you know, know exactly where they were that day. Because there's, there's a wonderful stat, Jonathan, that shows how much Ireland is discussed on social media. Um, and what you can see is that day in 2015 still remains the day that Ireland was discussed, the number one day where Ireland was discussed across the world by a country mile. So, you know, I, I think it's been a profound, mm. profoundly positive impact, but yeah, also for the I, reputation of the country. I think... 
Uh, yeah, Colin, and, yeah, and I mean, ju- just to say the same thing, I mean, uh, in, in a different way, perhaps, I mean, you know, I work for an international uh, NGO. Uh, we're present in 90 countries. You know, the, the contact we had from colleagues across the world right throughout the campaign and the run up to the vote itself was was extraordinary. The messages that we had from people and from LGBT activists across the world about what Ireland voting yes meant to them uh, and the shot in the arm that it was for them, that people were saying, well, if Ireland can do this, then we absolutely can here. I remember yeah. in Germany, for instance, very quickly after the after the result here, there was a kind of a, a response to the German political system that scratched its head, looked at us and said, Ireland did this, God, we better get our act together here, essentially, was what they were saying, and they subsequently yeah, did. Similarly, similarly, as Tiernan said, with, with Taiwan, I mean, I, I, I went out to Taiwan to meet with Amnesty colleagues out there who are working very much on this issue out there as well. Um, it had a huge impact, both in terms of boosting people's morale and giving them confidence that change was possible but also to inspire people to have the conversation that was necessary to move this issue forward in their own country. Yes, but uh, 2015 was a happier time. Uh, Then 2016 happened. Donald Trump got elected. Um, Brexit happened. Uh, Populist governments started to rise in not just far-flung places like Mm. Brazil, but closer Mm -hmm. to home in Hungary and in Poland. Um, You know, have we gone a little bit backwards, Cullum? Well, I mean, so far this year, we've seen one other country uh, introduce marriage equality, Costa Rica, and that was on foot of a ruling from the Inter-American Court on Human Rights that that will have an influence on 20 countries in that region. And so we are seeing positive progress there. 29 countries now globally have provided for for marriage equality. But yeah, in terms of broader LGBT rights, there are there are huge issues. I mean, it's still illegal to be LGBTQ in 70 countries and the death penalty applies in 12. Only 30% of UN member states have laws in place that offer protection from discrimination based on sexual orientation. I mean, that's fairly damning. And as you said yourself, you know, when we look at Europe, I mean, the the European Commissioner for Equality uh, just last year expressed concern about the high levels of discrimination LGBTQ people are facing in many, many European countries. And you've mentioned Hungary and Poland there. Poland, there is examples. So yes, there's there's enormous concern. There's a significant pushback uh, on human rights uh, that's being led by so-called strong strong men politicians. It has been for a number of years, but hopefully that that tide will turn too. Yeah. Finally, Tiernan, um, one of the. I suppose, claims from the other side. And they're entitled to the views and they probably still hold them. Um, But they're just, uh, they were in the minority. The sky would fall in. The institution (laughs) of marriage would have been denigrated allowing this to happen. Five years in, has it happened? I mean, no. I mean, and I suppose for some people, they have to see that happen for them to realise it wasn't going to be the case. I mean, I mean, we all said, you know, nobody was going to be any less married after marriage equality happened and nobody was going to be any more gay. Uh, and that was just a truism of it. And, and what we've seen everywhere is as soon as, you know, at, when marriage happens, and marriage equality happens, is, you know, support further increases. Because everybody sees this is just mm. about, you know, people getting on with their lives and, and it doesn't take anything from anybody. And, and you know, and that's... In a way, that's been a pattern of huge success, Jonathan, within this, that there's a success feeds greater success. It's also a risk because what we can see sometimes is we can start to become complacent and take for granted that this success happens automatically. I mean, the story of Ireland was a story of great campaigning across every town and village and the same in Australia, America, France. So, you know, these things don't fall in our lap. You know, if you want to be equal, you have to stand up and campaign for it. And 
you know, as you can see through the global trend that you're, you're asking, and as Colin's talking about there, you know, this isn't inevitable, and and it can swing back just as quickly, you know, if you haven't embedded it and celebrated it and kept campaigning the day after you win. All right, Tiernan Brady, uh, who was part of the marriage equality campaign here in Ireland and in Australia, and Colin McGorman of Amnesty International Ireland. Thank you both very much for joining us. Lots more coverage of marriage referendum throughout the day on News Talk. And today is part of our look back at the 20 most influential or iconic memorable moments of the past 20 years. We're remembering the same-sex marriage referendum in May 2015. There's no doubt that the referendum changed attitudes in this country and it had a ripple effect as well right across Europe. But we want to know what were your memories of the day back in 2015? What did Ireland voting yes mean to you personally? Were you part of the crowd at Dublin Castle? Did you campaign for a yes vote? We'd love to hear here at your memories it's 1890 453 106 if you want to join the conversation on air this afternoon Joe is on the line here in Lunchtime Live Joe what are your memories of the day back in uh, five years ago yeah I suppose Andre I'm really enjoying the 20 years and, and most certainly this, this topic um, I think it was more actually the run up to it but sort of thing I was looking at all the social media and everything was really really positive of course you had some negative sides to it and I sort of put it in, like, I normally keep out of those things, but I sort of put it in about two days before and said, you know, just put up the vote, yes, like, why, would, why would you discriminate against that? You know, um, um, being a gay person myself, I'm thinking back 27 years ago, homosexuality, homosexuality was only decriminalized. That just seems, you know, we've come so far as a country. And it had to happen. The vote had to go. And you think about the amount of people who came home mm. to vote. And it, it could have gone either way, only that we got the volumes of people, you know, when you, when you have legislation, it's all down to volumes of people, like 38 per- 38%, 38% of people voted against it. So people were determined coming home, people were coming home from Australia, getting votes home to make sure they could come home and vote for their friends, for family, and just just that just, just so they could give it. It was a huge, it was an amazing day. I mean, I, I, I booked a lunch out with my best friends. We went out for lunch and we just went, this is just the most incredible day. Yeah. It was like the biggest jubilant celebration. You know, as I said, going back to sort of pre-27 years ago, I used to run gay clubs and stuff and everything was a little bit repressed. You had fun, but it was very different. And now the rights they did, I don't even think the young people understand. You know, they have it just so easy now, really. And it, it brought people out as well who may have been, you know, cocooned in living somewhere in Ireland and just not not realising because it was so widespread and it made everything feel normal, normality for people like yeah. that. As a gay man, Joe, was, it, was the referendum um, a bit of a breakthrough moment? Oh, it was. It was a huge thing, yeah, because I had a lot of friends who've got married since then and are due to get married now and it just feels so normal, which it should be, you know. Like, sort of, you know, when you think about the amount of, you know, the, you know, venues now that are, are all targeting towards, you know, uh, gay people that they can, they can have gay marriage. It, everything just seems so normal, which is great. And it makes it easier for people as well. As I said, young people maybe who are struggling or even people who, have, you know, let's sit there for 20 years because it, it just didn't feel normal. Mm-hmm. Whereas, but in a huge amount of um, positive publicity, it meant that, you know, they, they could sort of think about things and go, wow, this seems yeah. normal. If it's normal to everyone. Well, just, just on that normality, Joe, that you're talking about, like if you think of yourself when you were 15 and 16 or even at, you know, 20 and 30 years of age, um, mm-hmm. coming out as a gay man now in Ireland versus what it might have been like for you 30 years ago. Can you give us a little bit of what the, that comparison might be like? 
Yeah, it was completely different. I mean, I, 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 took, I took quite a while to come out as always. So you could have and again, like we didn't have social media, we didn't have mobile phones in those days. So you know, it was very different. You know, um, it was very underground. And again, people I would talk to, you know, who of the older generation when I came out first, and they would tell me about their experience, and I'd be going, "Really? Is that are you serious?" Mm-hmm. Because I suppose first it was easy, you know. When I came out, things were, it, it was just a very different environment to, to be in. And then um, things started to open up then, you know, like gay club nights, things. I used to run gay club nights in, in Dublin. And but if you're running like, you know, in straight venues and stuff, and it, it was still a little bit, you know, tough for people. You know, you'd have people sort of going in and going, oh, I watched this. And you know, it's a gay night. And you're saying, yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, things improved so much from then. And of course, look, I mean, people like David Norris and all this who did amazing things for the whole gay community at that time. You know, when you think about the Hurtsfield Centre, which would have been pre-me coming out, but I've done, you know, I've known a lot of history about that, and it just for some place for somewhere to go. Okay. And also, they did, they did a lot of um, 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 uh, youth clubs as well, where young people could meet up and discuss what it was like being a gay person, which now... It seems completely yeah, bizarre. Yeah, it does. Yeah, isn't it? It's hard to believe in in many ways that that that's so recent. I'm just going to bring Sarah in as well. Sarah's got in touch with us here too on a lunchtime live this afternoon. Sarah, what did the marriage referendum mean to you? Well, I mean, I think it was it was it was huge. It was life changing. Um, I remember just listening to Joe there. I remember the lead up to the referendum, the feeling of insecurity and you know, almost that like, um, are we going to get hurt here? Um, the I remember the night um, after the vote, you know, we didn't sleep a wink. Um, but actually the day that it was being counted, I was going wedding dress shopping. Okay. And I said, you know, come hell or high water, this is like what I'm going to spend my time doing. And I remember saying to my sisters and my best mate, the, no one turn on the radio, I don't want to talk about it in case it's bad news. And of course, before we even left the house, um, word had started to kind of come through that it was going to be positive. Um, and, you know, it was just very exciting. I think, you know, for a lot of people, it was kind of like national acceptance. Um, but, uh, you know, at the time, I think I was a little bit angry that we had to have this conversation. And I remember the floods of messages on the morning of the vote from, you know, male friends and male friends in particular actually saying to me, Sarah, you know, I'm going out to vote for you and Geraldine because, um, you know, I think this is, you know, you deserve to be happy. And I remember the the lead up to it, so many people being like, this is ridiculous that we have to have Mm -hmm. a vote on this. But at the same time, um, I think we needed as a country to go through that because so many conversations happened that would not have happened had we not had the referendum and the build up to it. You know, grannies and granddads and aunts and uncles having conversations and that was probably I actually I actually thought that was probably one of the most powerful parts of mm-hmm. the campaign was w- when I heard and, and listened to parents and grandparents talking about what it would mean for their son or their daughter or their grandchild or grandson you know that that they you know will be able to get married like everybody else in Absolutely. the country and and I thought that was a, a a real turning point in it um you're from Roscommon is that right Sarah I'm not from Roscommon, I'm actually from Sligo, but um, we actually had the great privilege of being the first um, gay people to get married in Roscommon, um, which was obviously significant considering um, what happened in Roscommon. But in fairness, we we had a fantastic wedding in Roscommon. I mean, I couldn't even tell you how welcoming the community was. We we got married in Kilrone Castle in the morning of the wedding. We, We drove up and they were flying a pride flag from the castle. Um, and um, there was just tremendous acceptance and celebration. Mm-hmm. And um, because Roscommon and Leitrim was the the constituency yeah, that yeah, voted and, no. Yeah, and 
Yeah, but we said, you know, we always said that we were we were getting married and very happy to get married there because a lot of people voted yes. And I think yeah. like, you have to bear in mind the the population and the, the, the demographics down there. Probably a lot of people maybe don't live in Roscommon anymore. So I think that was important. But tremendous acceptance from, from everyone. And, you know, indeed, there was many people at our wedding who would have voted no. But I think, you know, part of these things is, is kind of like everyone accepting the way things have mm-hmm. landed and moving on. Um, and I know in the build up to our wedding, we, we actually got married in December five years ago. So we'll be coming up to our fifth wedding anniversary now. Mm, good stuff. Um, and at the time, it was a very emotional day. Even, you know, I remember our, our poor register was crying um, because it was her first. Right. And she got kind of like, I think, caught up in all of the happiness and celebration in the room. So it ended up being just the, the most, I think, tremendous experience. Yeah. And, you know, it's been fantastic, I think, ever since. It's, it's been, been a, lot of, a lot of things to be achieved, but, um, you know, we're making good progress. Yeah. I, I just want to ask you, Joe, as well, about that point that um, that Sarah made a few moments ago, you know, talking about the what if it didn't go um, it, it didn't go on the yes side or there wasn't a yes vote, you know, off the back of the referendum. And I, I remember hearing Leo Varadkar saying at the time as well that, you know, it would be it would be a worse feeling than if you were to lose your seat in a general election if the country were to have voted no. Were you concerned yeah. about that or anxious about it at the time? Uh, I was on the run up to it because I was going, this can go either way. If the people don't go out and vote, this this really could go wrong for us. And then you saw this huge amount of support in the run up to or run up to it, um, that that people were and, and like as I said, the huge amount of social media, everyone saying, Please go and vote, my nephew is gay. Coming straight out with stuff that you weren't expecting. I've just found out my son is gay, please go and vote and vote yes. And that was just unbelievable, coming from people all different aspects of life. But everyone was sort of going this is really, it was getting very touchy. It was very emotional, obviously, mm-hmm. when it started to happen and everyone was watching it and sort of going, oh my God, this, this, this actually is going to happen. You know, because you do have that slight little bit of doubt. What way is it going to go? Um, just, we don't know. And it really, I think it was really down to the turnout and the people who, you know, because it's become so much more acceptable now. When you look at the size of um, Dublin Gay Pride now, it's absolutely mm-hmm. huge. When you think back to 30 years ago, it was a group of people who, you know, were, were insulted by people on the street who could barely even walk down the street and shouted at and abused. And now suddenly we have this amazing environment that it's so acceptable. And, you know, it also led the way for a lot of other European countries That's right. to go the yeah. same way with a referendum, which was amazing. So, you know, Ireland should be really proud that everyone got out there and actually voted mm-hmm. and voted the right way for this. Was was that something that, um, was that important to you, Sarah? Was there a sense of pride in, in Ireland? Yeah, I mean, I I, I do remember <clears throat> the morning or, or whatever after the thing, just feeling incredibly proud to be Irish. I mean, I think um, for our small island, I think, you know, where we, we have like a, a culture and a, a sense of, you know, um, belonging like no other. I think that's fantastic. I mean, just, you know, on Joe's point there about pride, I do think like it had an impact as well. When I think back, there was many businesses at the time who would not have supported anything to do with gay rights or the gay community. And if we look at now, the reason Pride has got so big is that the referendum not only said it's okay to be gay for a gay person, but it also gave people permission, I think, in some ways to go, you know, it's okay to support gay people. 
um, and it's okay to, you know, get behind them yeah, and say it, that, it, you know, you are accepted. It really um, changed, changed the, the face of, changed of campaigning time, yeah. and we really yeah. saw the power of social media, I think, through the um, the uh, the marriage equality referendum as well. Well, to remember the um, this pivotal day here in Irish history, we're joined on the line in Lunchtime Live by the Thánaiste, Leah Baradgar. You're very welcome to the programme, Thánaiste. Um, I know the referendum meant a lot to you personally and professionally, but now five years on just how significant was the marriage referendum here? I think it was significant in, in, in a lot of different ways. I was kind of looking back, um, you know, on the history of it yesterday, just in preparation for this interview. And, you know, there's a few things that struck me. You know, one was the um, the, the result being so overwhelming. I remember when we were planning the referendum and I was um, Minister of Health at the time. Um, the kind of thinking was that it would be a bit like the divorce referendums in the past, that it would probably um, carry very heavily in, in the cities, you know, in, in Dublin, mm. Cork and Limerick and maybe Galway, but uh, be defeated around the country. Uh, and that isn't what happened at all. You know, every constituency bar one voted yes and places that had been maybe considered to be conservative parts of the country uh, in the past voted, voted yes. And that that changed politics. It actually emboldened people to do other things and to push for more reforms. And, you know, I remember just in, in the weeks after that, uh, we passed the legislation um, on, on, on trans, trans, transgender rights, you know, allowing people to um, to, 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 um, to have their, their, their gender identity recognised. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happened with you know, minimal fuss or resistance or argument or, or debate. Now, I know it didn't go far enough for a lot of people, but it would have been so different just yeah. in the years before. Uh, and I think the second thing w- was the international reaction, um, because Ireland, you know, seen around the world as a relatively conservative Catholic country. And, um, I, you know, I was reading the reports in, in Australia and in Germany and in countries, you know, around the world, and they were saying, you know, if the Catholic Irish can vote for this, you, you know, mm. what, why are we, why, why, why have we fallen behind and why don't we get on with it? Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, we were speaking to uh, Joe and Sarah here in Lunchtime Live about their memories of, um, of the 22nd of May 2015 in the first part of the programme. And that was a point they talked about was the, the photographs and the videos and the social media reaction to people who literally, literally booked tickets and flew home from Australia and America and various different parts of the world because this meant so much to them to their generation that they they wanted to to make sure they got to cast their vote um and and that was a really i think emotional part of the whole campaign yeah no it was it was huge and um you know particularly the engagement of of younger people uh in politics which is um you know difficult to, to, to do sometimes, you know, generally turnout by younger people in elections is quite low and it's hard to get people involved in politics. But, you know, for a lot of younger people, um, they got involved in the campaign for the first time, uh, could see that democracy does work sometimes mm. and, and politics can be used to, to change things for the better. And, you know, one thing that really hit me, I remember going down to vote uh, in my local polling station on the day and, um, you know, just to see groups of, you know, groups of friends, you know, in, in their late teens or early 20s going out to vote together. It's not, not usually something no. people do. Yeah, <laughs> no, know, it's... Let's all meet up and, and go and go vote. But, but you know, I kind of knew that, that moment that it was going to be OK, yeah. you know, that it was going to pass. Um, on a more personal note, though, when you think back to, was it the previous year prior, to, was it 2014 that you, you did the interview with um, Miriam O'Callaghan and RTE and you... you um, you publicly came out as a gay man during the interview and said that you wanted to be, you know, an equal citizen in your own country. Was it a hard decision to make or why did you decide to to do that interview when you did at the time? 
Um, well, it was it was the, it was the same year actually. I think it was, was the January of the referendum, if I if I, if I remember correctly. Um, I, like the, there were two reasons. Like like one, I was ready ready in myself. You know what I mean? Um, you, you know you know to to you have to come out to yourself before you can come out to anyone else, let alone but the whole country. And uh, you know I, I'd been been a closeted gay man for a long time, and all the things that come with that. Um, and I was kind of ready in my own head at that point in time but but also I was aware the referendum was coming up and you know I was at some of the meetings where we were planning um, information campaigns and what the government's approach would be and so on and um, I just remember distinctly one or two of the meetings some of my colleagues and these would be you know political colleagues who'd mm. be friends of mine uh, you know talking about how how we needed to be generous to, to these people and I kind of said, I can't sit through this for the next six months talking about these people, you know, yeah. or being generous because it was, there's, there's no generosity in giving people equal rights before the law. It's just what should be the case. Yeah. It's interesting when you talk about um, just when you, you use that phrase, these people, and you talked about a little bit earlier about the reaction to Ireland and the yes vote um, here back in 2015. And yet we look at 2020 and we have the, the likes of the LGBT, the, the free zones, the gay exclusion zones in, in the likes of places like Poland. How does that sit with you? Um, uh, not well, quite frankly. Um, like, obviously, you always want to respect other people's cultures and, you know, the sovereignty of different countries to make their own decisions for themselves, but um, it particularly doesn't sit well within the European Union, uh, you know, because European countries are supposed to be united by a sense of European values, and, you know, that includes things like personal liberty and freedom and equality before the law and, um, you, you know, the genders being 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 equal, uh, you know, the social market economy. There are certain things that make us Europe, you know, that make us mm. different maybe to to most other parts of the world. And um, uh, obviously, when it comes to LGBT equality, that's one of the ones that's still not resolved, and uh, it's disappointing. It's also it's also clearly used by some politicians in some of those countries in Poland and Hungary to um, you know to, to win votes, and um, you know it's kind of sad to see. You, you know, pe- people using using these kind of issues in order to, in order to, uh, 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 you know, appeal to very conservative voters. Okay, is it difficult to sit around or share a table at a European level then with the leaders of, the, of those countries? You know, you know, to be honest, it's not. And uh, you, you know, when you're a politician and a minister and you're representing your country, you have to, to a certain extent, set aside some of those. Um, you know, per- personal issues, even though they're not enti- entirely personal, they are political as well. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I was looking for the support, for example, uh, when I was Taoiseach looking for the support of, of Poland and Hungary, which would have been close to the UK, of course, you know, when I was looking for their support on Brexit issues, um, you know, I wasn't going to jeopardise Ireland's greater interests on an issue like Brexit, um, you know, on, on another issue, albeit an important one. Um, but it's not that you don't raise them, you, you know, you, you do. Uh, and we do. Listen, thanks for joining us here on Lunchtime Live this afternoon to uh, remember and to look back at why the marriage referendum vote in 2015 was one of the 20 most influential moments of the past two decades as voted by you, the listeners. We will be continuing with this series here on News Talk.
I want to return to our special series, which is exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades. Every day across the station, we're looking back at an influential moment chosen by our listeners. Today, we're going back to May 2015, when Ireland voted yes in the marriage equality referendum. A lot of people remember it as a joyous and momentous day of celebration, but not everybody was celebrating, and the county of Roscommon actually voted no. So what was the mood like in Roscommon at the time, and how much has changed since? Anne Rigney is an artist and LGBT campaigner living in Roscommon. Common. She joins me now on News Talk. Anne, how are you today? Very good, Tom, and nice to talk to you. You as uh, well. Um, tell me how you got involved uh, with this back in the day. Um, I have two children, a son and a daughter, and uh, my son happens to be gay. So they asked me to write a piece. So I ended up writing a poem called Imagine It's Your Child. And uh, this went viral. And um, it was published on a lot of papers. Um, I then became very involved with the marriage equality campaign in Roscommon, a small group, but a, a really, really great bunch of people. And uh, we went canvassing uh, door to door throughout Roscommon. So, um, what was that actually like um, to, to go door to door at the time? What, what kind of reception were you getting on the doorstep? Well, it was, it was good and bad. You know, you would get people who were most definitely no, but we, we got a lot of very positive response as well. It wasn't all, it wasn't all bad, but I had never canvassed before, so it was, it was very new for me. But of course, as any parents listening will know, you'll do anything for your children to get equality for them. And that was very important for me at the time. And, um, Absolutely. Yes. Um, and at the time, the, the church was very vociferous on this, wasn't it? Particularly yes. in Roscommon. Uh, um, the church were very vociferous. And uh, I think was, this is part of the reason, you know, a, a lot of people voted, a lot, not a lot of people, but a lot of people voted no and we got the no vote. The, you know, the, pre, the, the priests were preaching it uh, from the altars and, and telling people what to do. And uh, the bishops, I mean, that did have an influence on, on the no voters, no doubt, including um, a lot of people from younger people in Roscommon would have been living in the cities and a lot of emigration. And then we have a, a higher, older generation in Roscommon who would have been heavily influenced by the church, I suppose. And then we had the uh, politicians who did very little. We had very little support from the politicians. In fact, some of them are advocating for a no vote. So, we you know, we had a lot of things <laughs> up against us. Right. And were, yeah. were there many of you? Um, no, there wasn't. At the time. Until we about 12 to 15 of us, you know, in comparison to Dublin. And Roscommon is a very large county, if you look at the map, you know. It was very, very difficult uh, for us. I mean, afterwards, people came up and said to me and to other people, oh, you know, we, we, we should have gotten invo- involved and why didn't we? But that was after the horse had bolted, you know what I mean? We were right. 10 on the and ground at the time. What kind of hours were you putting in on this? Oh, my God. <laughs> I was, we were out every single evening, you know, uh, as much as I could, uh, walking miles and miles. You know, I think I walked around all my own village, you know, and, and, and all the rest of the canvassers as well, you know, and meeting people on the doorstep. Some people were lovely. You know, we were brought in for tea and offered different beverages and everything. You know, there's a lot of kindness in Roscommon. Right. But, um, were you optimistic? I, I was. I was very optimistic. And I suppose, as you said there, there was great celebrations on the night. And there was. And, you know, we did celebrate. We, it was a great night for Ireland, you know, um, when Ireland voted yes, you know. But, um, mm. you know, I was just looking at the votes there myself. I knew you'd be asking me about this. <laughs> um, there was only a thousand votes in the difference. You know, another another counties scraped over the line as well. 
But because we were the only one with the red, the red light flashing, you know, of course, the press did focus on us, you know, and we were disappointed. And there was tears shed in our crockery that uh-huh. night, you know, including myself. You know, we, we celebrated in our crockery and uh, but we did celebrate and, and delighted that it's passed, you know. Yeah. Right. As the years went by, how do you think um, things had changed? Well, I- Things have changed. Things have got more positive. We've quite, we've quite a few um, gay couples living here in my own village of Knockrockery and living very happily in the village. And um, we have four different uh, youth groups uh, supported by Faroga and um, the Social Inclusion Group in Roscommon and Leader Partnership. So that's great. And I'm also involved with a TLC. It's a parent support group for parents because I think it's very important for parents to educate themselves as well about the issues of the LGBT community so that they can best support their children. Do you know what I mean, Tom? That it's if they have the, if they have the knowledge, they can support their children in the best possible way. And um, we took part now recently in many, before COVID, of course, in many uh, GEA Healthy Clubs projects. You know, we went in and talked to coaches and parents and children in, you know, on Saturday morning. So that was great. So we're creating right. that awareness. You know, we can make and, a change. And do you think that has changed? Do you think there's there's more, it's easier uh, to do things like it that is, now yeah. than it was. Oh, yeah. Things have opened up. Things have opened up so much more. Yeah, people are more open. Of course, you're going to get homophobia. You get it in every county. It's not just. Uh, I mean, I, I'm also involved in, in the European Network of Parents Group. You get it in other countries. It's very bad in other countries. So, um, you know, Roscommon is no different. But I feel personally myself that education is the way to go. Parents educating themselves. What what yeah. children here in the home, they'll, you know, they take that in. If if, if a parent is homophobic, they're going to take that in and absorb it, you know, and maybe be the maybe be the, the bully in the school then, you know. But, um, you know, that's all changing, I think. And the more parents and, and teachers in schools, they have a big input as well in educating children to be, you know, tolerant and accepting right. and that, that people are different, different, you know, perceived as different. What was the feeling around Roscommon after uh, the yes vote? Was there a feeling like we didn't want this, but now we're kind of stuck oh, with no, it? Oh, no, no. I think no? it was the opposite. In fact, people were shocked, really? I think. And I think people were very disappointed. And I was talking to Will Kane, a friend of mine today. Will was leading the Yes Equality campaign. And he said if it was, you know, if it was a bit later, things would be completely different. You know what I mean? So, um, no, no, no. There was a great feeling of disappointment, you know. So, um, anyway, things have moved on. I, I have a son and he's married now. And uh, he's has, I have two children. Oh, tell me all grand- about him. Two how, grandchildren. How has he, how has he been <laughs> I have since? two grandchildren. <laughs> I have two grandchildren. <laughs> uh, they have two. I have two beautiful. I have three grandchildren. My daughter recently had a baby girl who's not far from me, which is wonderful as well. But my son has two, and his husband, I might add, have two uh, beautiful daughters, and um, they're the they're the light of my lives. All my grandchildren. So when you know when my son told me he was gay, like you know, twenty years ago, um, he was only sixteen. I I really didn't think I would ever have grandchildren. You know, through to him you know what I mean so life is full of surprises so I want parents out there to know that you just don't know what's around the corner you know and I I certainly didn't and I never thought I'd go out canvassing door to door either or do stuff like that (laughs) and did he get married here in Ireland 
He came back to Ireland, yes, and uh, we had a wonderful day. He got married in Roscommon, and uh, that was a fantastic day for us, a great celebration. He did indeed, yeah. And uh, even though he was living out of the country at the time, Dara is his name, he did. He really supported the marriage equality campaign through press releases and through supporting the group in Dublin and our own group here in um, Roscommon. So, um, Great. Yeah. so married in Ireland, um, at Roscommon, and then w- when did the, the two t- children come around? Um, well, he's a four year old, and uh, the, ba- the youngest is just um, oh, she's only n- not quite three months yet, uh, Maya. Um, yeah, in the last four years, obviously, four and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, well, the, the three month one, you probably may not have got to see it all yet, have you? No, I didn't, I didn't, and it breaks my heart, it really does. But we do little WhatsApp call and video calls, you know. But another thing is, they did the um, surrogacy in America. So uh, my son and his husband travelled to America during COVID, you know, and yeah. um, his husband had to go back to Germany to go back to work because the the baby's passport took took much longer in America because of all that was going on there with COVID and everything. And um, he, he had to travel back himself. Dara had to travel back himself with a newborn and his four and a half year old. Can you imagine that? Well, wow. so, um, I was so proud of him. It was like a big, this massive epic, epic journey he did, you know, from America back to Germany with his, um, with his two children. Yeah. It sounds great. So, um, it is. You've it seen, you've seen a bit of the four-year-old though at this point, have you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, Emma. Yeah. Emma was my first Emma. grandchild and, uh, she is absolutely adorable. And, um, yes, I've been back and forth to Germany quite a lot. In fact, I was over early this year before, before the lockdown. I just, just, uh, COVID was just starting in February. It was, you know, but I'm glad I got over then. And of course I'll be first up there for the vaccination so that I can, um, <laughs> I might be Good ahead of you. Uh, Will you? Uh, yes. Um, that yeah, must have been quite travel. a feeling uh, to be to be there with your son and, yeah. and Emma, to think of those cold nights going around Roscommon knocking on doors. Yes, absolutely. It's absolutely wonderful. It really is. But of course, now there's another thing we have to, you know, uh, parents are working for in Ireland, that both parents have equal rights, you know, of their, of their children. You know what I mean? That's another issue that's... Um, that we're fighting yeah. for, you know, that that with gay parents, uh, be it, you know, that they have e- equal rights as well. Both of them have the same rights under the law, you know, for their children. That isn't the case at the moment. So we're working on that at the moment. There's always something to fight for. <laughs> yeah, you don't you don't rest much, Anne. For this no, 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 no. So, um, well, uh, pleasure talking to you today, Anne. And um, yeah, okay. Thank you so much. You're lo- <laughs> thanks very much, Anne Ruby. There, artist and LGBT campaigner living in Roscommon, um, from her days knocking door to door trying to get that marriage equality referendum over the line um, to where we are now. That is quite an, an incredible journey, isn't it? We want to return to our special series here, exploring News Talk's 20 most influential moments of the past two decades, as voted on by you, the News Talk listener. Today, we're going back to May 2015, when Ireland voted yes in the marriage equality referendum. The moment has arrived. Ireland's made history by putting the issue of marriage equality to a popular vote, and we're about to find out if it's passed. Yeah, no, I think it's really important to come home and vote. Um, it's such a big day and it's such an important issue. 
so um, hopefully we'll have the whole country behind us. I actually think that yes, we'll pass in Donegal later on. We'll be finding out quite soon. Well, I want to tell you folks, if you're just getting out of the scratchers, 9.41 on Saturday morning, Ivan says the yes are going to win by a landslide. Bundoran has voted yes, Balashannon has voted yes, Carrick and Shure has voted yes, North Wicklow, South Wicklow, North Wexford, rural North Wexford, all have voted yes. Rural, urban, young, old, gay, straight, married, single, all kinds of families, all kinds of people. It was one voice, really, and, and that's that's extraordinary. It's just such an important day for us, you know. Um, I'm in my mid-40s, and uh, I just never thought that we'd be fully accepted in our country, and it seems the country have made us so proud. I woke up this morning, and I'm 42 years of age, and it's the first time in my life I feel that I'm no longer part of a minority, I'm part of a majority. I would have been thrilled if I had grown up in a country that already had it, but I'll take it at 46 years old. I'll take it now. I'm proud to be Irish. Ireland is the first country in the world that has allowed its citizens to make a popular vote on this issue and they have come up trumps. They have shown a placard to the rest of the world. This is the way forward. This is decency. This is a civilised country. I'm overwhelmed. It's a very emotional day. Uh, But it's down to brave, ordinary uh, people of Ireland. I think it shows the empowerment of young people. It shows that the mothers and fathers of Ireland voted yes. And I think it makes the most modernising statement Irish society has ever made. All right. I'm delighted to say that on the line from Dublin Castle is Una Mullally. Una, how the hell are you doing? Very well. Very well today. You know, I keep calling it gay Italian 90s. <laughs> <laughs> you join us live on News Talk 106 to 108 FM as the returning officer Rena Niangala has just took to the stage. Let's listen to her live. Majority of votes in favour of the proposal, 467,307. Yes, that was the result coming in in May 2015. One of the voices you heard there amongst many others, Senator David Norris, who I'm delighted to say uh, joins me on the line. Uh, David, look, I'm sure a lot of memories there flooding back as you were listening to different clips. I'm conscious, though, we're, we're describing these as moments. And for you, I suppose that this was not a moment so much as the culmination of, of a long journey. Is that be fair to say? Yeah, I suppose it was. Uh, I mean, I I was involved in gay rights for just about 50 years. It was a lifetime, really. Uh, what can you describe then, uh, compared to now, what it's like now? Like, what was it like growing up as, as a young gay man in Ireland? Well, I mean, the most important point, I think, was there was a complete silence about the, the question of homosexuality. I mean, uh, I grew up thinking I was the only one in Ireland. Uh, and that was true for an awful lot of people. I mean, I used to be referred to in the Irish Times as uh, the Irish homosexual. <laughs> there was only one of me. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were the one. And tell me, when when obviously you began legal proceedings in the late seventies against the the, the criminalisation of of homosexuality to decriminalise it, did did you? see that as kind of a, a battle in and of itself, that this was just about decriminalisation? Or or had you ever a view of kind of absolute equality and this was the first stage, the first step in that? Yes, I saw it all as, as, as part of a process. And uh, as part of that process, uh, I put down the first um, uh, civil partnership bill in 2003. Um, and uh, I called it the Civil Partnership Bill, but in effect it was marriage because Clause 7 said any benefit deriving from the state of marriage will also be assumed to derive from this. So it was actually the same as, as marriage. And um, 
Uh, Michael McDowell was the Attorney General, Minister for Justice, I forget which, and he tried to kind of vote it down, uh, but I had threw a tantrum. <laughs> and I said I'd kick up hell and I w- in the media, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't even bother to attend the debate and so on. So they, they backed off and they left us on the order paper with more, one minute remaining, which kept it technically alive. Uh, then uh, the Labour Party introduced a civil partnership bill, followed eventually by the government. Uh, and I opposed the government's bill, uh, for which I was roundly criticized mm. by everybody, including the, the, the gay movement. Um, but I felt I was justified because uh, there were 161 differences between the state of marriage and this uh, civil partnership yeah. uh, situation. Uh, and the language is very nasty. I mean, where they described uh, the accommodation to home as the family home for uh, straight people, it became the shared accommodation mm. uh, for gay people. So they wouldn't even allow it to be a home. And I thought that was terribly mean. And, and did you imagine then in, in, in 1995, say, when, 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 when ultimately that legal case came to, its, came to, came to a head and, and you had your victory, did you think that you'd still be dealing then kind of in the early noughties and right through to 2015 with this issue? You know, you say you, you, you always thought this was the first step in a process to, to, to equality. Did you think that journey would take as long? Well, I didn't really know. I didn't really think about it. Uh, but I don't think it was any harm because it allowed people uh, to identify themselves. And they came out to their families. And they said, look, uh, I'm gay. And then they went around talking to people. And uh, they weren't confrontational or anything, but they just said, uh, would you like to hear my story? And I think the very important thing in controversial issues where there is a certain amount of fear, fear of the unknown, mm is that people put a human face on the situation. And that, that was what was done. Uh, th- th- that vote then in, in, in May 2015, like obviously it, it was a reflection of a changed Ireland to a degree. But I wonder, because we're talking about uh, the most influential moments, I wonder to what extent did it change Ireland? Like did it precipitate change as well? Like has, has change continued to happen? Yes, well, I, I think it confirmed change. I mean, my view is that the Irish people have always been decent, tolerant, and compassionate, and so on. And uh, you see this reflected in the Breton laws, for example. There are provisions made for homosexual arrangements, and so on. Uh, so there wasn't a condemnation. That really came from the Judeo-Christian uh, ethic, and uh, spread all over the world, of course, by the British Empire, unfortunately. Where are the shortcomings today, then, when it comes to absolute equality? Well, I mean, there are a few loose ends to be tied up, uh, most of them in the area of tax and, and so on. There's this particular provision for people who are in the civil service, and because they didn't claim a marriage, uh, but of course they couldn't because there was no, there was yeah. no uh, provision for, for marriage for, for two men or two women. So uh, besides those loose ends, then I should ask you about the day in, in question. I suppose we all kind of got goosebumps, a lot of people listening to all that audio and the reporting here on News Talk. What are your own memories of that day? Well, I went down to the RDS to the count. And uh, I can tell you, the previous night, I thought it was very much in the balance. Right. But after 10 minutes of seeing them uh, opening and sorting the envelopes and so on, I knew we'd won. And I, I thought it was absolutely terrific. Yeah, absolutely terrific. And most people, I'm sure, listening would agree lovely. with you. And I remember, I remember walking 
Uh, I went down then to Dublin Castle yeah. and I walked along Caper Street and there were people out on the streets celebrating and it was just a lovely, positive uh, atmosphere. Uh, and I came back home with a neighbour, uh, Murren Noonan, and uh, I'm not supposed to drink, but I did have half a glass, half a big glass of red wine. <laughs> <laughs> well deserved, well deserved. I've had to talk about celebrating on the streets. Wouldn't that be great to do again? We've all forgotten it. Listen, uh, David, a, a pleasure to speak to you, Senator David Norris. Mm-hmm.